In the fall each year we all congregate The mouth all gathered at the church of Hillgate The scriptures reading from the book of Monson Our favorite verse, my God, a freshman Drunk and obnoxious, what Georgia faith Ain't nothing finer in the land Now the 3,000 of our best friends It's Saturday and that thing Welcome to the Saturday in Athens podcast. We are a Georgia Bulldogs show by dogs fans for dogs fans. I'm your host, Herschel Gurley, and we are pumped up to be joined today by Candler Cook. Candler is a double dog. He graduated with a BBA from the Terry College in 2011 and then went back and got his MBA in 2018. He was a true walk-on member of the Georgia football team in his time in Athens. And in 2019, he authored a book chronicling that journey called From Underdog to Bulldog, My Journey as a College Football Walk-On. Candler, thanks for hanging out with us today. We're pumped up to hear your story. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. So I want to start with you. Talk to us a little bit about where you grew up and what the role sports played in in your upbringing. Yeah, great question. I would say I played a huge role. Um, my parents always had myself and my sisters in sports every single season growing up. So whether it was football, basketball, baseball, um, golf, wrestling, swimming, it was really constantly doing sports. And um, and that really stayed the same the older that I got. You know, throughout middle school, I played multiple sports. High school really focused in on wrestling and football. Um, and, then, and then college really just lasered in on football after that. So did I read right that you were 145 pounds in high school? Yes, that's right. And that's, that's when I started college. I weighed that. So I so empathize with that because I played uh, college baseball as a walk-on. And um, I was about 138 pounds soaking wet and played high school football at the same weight. And, you know, had, uh, had, a, had metabolism that moved at the speed of light. And, you know, I could eat all day and just, just gain no weight. So, <laughs> so at what point during your athletic journey, did you decide, you know what, I want my dream, the goal that I'm going to chase after is I want to play football at the University of Georgia? You know, it really always was. Um, I, I just grew up such a huge fan. My dad and mom both went there. Uh, two of my three sisters went there. And, you know, when it came time to go to college, the only place I even applied to was Georgia. And it was just kind of I was always going to play football there. And so to me, there wasn't really another scenario where I wouldn't. I just need to figure out what do I need to do to improve myself um, and, and to get in a position to talk with the coaches in order to make this dream a reality. So when you got on campus in Athens, what's the process like to become a walk-on? Can you explain that to our listeners? Like, is there a tryout? How does all that work? Sure. Um, and I will preface it with saying this has since changed. I've heard Kirby has changed it to where now tryouts last um, an hour and there's not even a football involved. Uh, they just see people run a little bit and weigh them in and then and then let people on the team. But um, when I was trying out um, during the Coach Rick era, basically most of the guys are recruited out of high school. Their preferred walk-ons is what it's called. Um, a select handful show up at a tryout and actually make the team. And the tryout process was actually eight months long. So oh, wow. you, yeah, you have starting in January, you go all the way through off-season workouts, 
then you go through spring practice, the spring game, then you go through summer workouts, and then there's camp. And then uh, about a week before the first game, they would make cuts. So it was a, it was a brutal process. And really, I kind of got in, um, in through really the back door in order to be able to try out because I had you know, never been recruited out of high school, never even started. I was fourth string my senior year. And really, I found out about the tryout process through a guy that I played against in high school football. I met him at a, um, a fraternity rush event before my freshman year. And so he and I talked and he mentioned that he was going to be trying out to make the team as a kicker. And he mentioned uh, Coach Cherchinsky was the guy who was in charge of that process. And so mm-hmm. I wanted to reach out to Coach T and talk with him. And I wanted to do that when the timing was right. And so I decided to go the day before classes started my freshman year and to show up at his office and talk with him. And I, I wanted to keep what I said brief because it was one of those situations, the less detail, the better, because um, at, at the end of the day, I had no highlight tape. I'd never started a game in high school. The last time I started was in seventh grade, actually. And so basically just showed up at the office in athletic clothes and was prepared to talk with him. And as I got in the elevator to go up to his office, I noticed a hand stick out and it was actually Coach T in the elevator holding the door open. And he took one look at me and, um, you know, mistook me for someone else he had spoken with before and just said, hey, are you the guy that wanted to try out? And so I just said yes and just went with him straight from there. So from there, he leads me into the tryout and um, and goes ahead and starts that process. So I never even told anybody my name, my position, my school, if I even knew how to play football, nothing. And, and thankfully, ended up then getting the chance to try out the spring of my freshman year. So hold up. I, I want to I flesh this out a little bit. What you're telling me is the way the process was is you could give blood, guts, and sweat for eight full months, go through that whole grind, and – Right before the season starts, they make the choice, hey, you're going to be on the roster or the full 120-man roster for the fall season or not. Is that what I'm hearing? Exactly. It's it's just brutal. So you can – basically the tryout process was you can do everything but the actual season. Oh, wow. So this is a dream that if you want to pursue it at that time anyways, you had to be extremely committed to, um, which I love that. So – Take us through the first couple years of that process and what that looked like. So when you started in January of your freshman year, had you put on any weight by that point or were you pretty much the same size as when you enrolled? I had put on weight. So basically at the, the walk-on meeting that fall, they, they basically said that they would let us work out with the team, but that we could not practice with them. We could not um, be on the sideline for games, anything like that. So at that point, um, I started working out with the team, um, also working out on my own a lot and then really eating a lot. I started eating six full-size meals a day and um, was able to gain a lot of weight and get a lot stronger. So in that just that first semester of college, I, um, I got up from 145 all the way up to 185. So made some significant progress and, and showed up for the tryout at, uh, at 185, trying out to be a linebacker on the team spring of my freshman year. So come that fall when the decision is pending, how are you feeling that first fall? Are you feeling pretty good about it or, or where are your emotions at then? No, I, I was not feeling that great about it. I, I mean, I physically, I made it through everything that they could throw at me, but I was just slower and weaker than the other guys, not very athletic. And so I was happy that I made it through that. I mean, it was, it was it made me feel like in a sense that I, I could belong there in the future just because I've been able to get through things as brutal as mat drills. Coach Ricks last year at Florida State 
uh, they had a player die while doing those. Um, and it, and I personally saw a couple guys on the team that were former Marines that were not able to make it through mat drills. So just an absolutely brutal training regimen. And the fact that I made it through that unscathed was great, um, but I was still lacking so much size and speed. So I, I was not surprised at all when, you know, I had the meeting with my coach and, and I was cut. So it was, you know, it stung a little, but I, I was really expecting it. But in, in a way I was still very optimistic, you know, it was only my freshman season because they can redshirt everybody. And so that they really just said that, you know, they didn't have room for me. They appreciated that I had improved some and um, didn't say anything about you're welcome to try out again or not. And, and so from there, I made my mind up that I was going to work harder, continue to improve and come back the next year. And what was the result like after that year? You know, it was interesting. I, I kind of redoubled my efforts. I got up to eating eight full-size meals a day, training harder, doing some powerlifting, um, and it bulked up to 215. Um, so I put on 70 pounds since the start of college, and this is just through middle of my sophomore year, and show up at that tryout. And I'm really the size of, of these other guys that are walking on as, as linebackers. And that went well. I knew what to expect. I'd been through the tryout process. So by that point, I was kind of a veteran of the spring side of things. And then still ended up getting cut. And that was really brutal because I didn't see it coming. I Several of the assistant strength coaches had said that they thought that I looked like I belonged on the team. Even my position coach had said that that I improved a lot. And then um, I got a, a comment card on the day that I got cut. They basically gave a review of my skills and and had a, um, a really frank um, note section. And, and, and the part of that was saying that I was too small, too slow, average strength, a division three player at best, and that I should strongly consider giving it up. Um, and so that's where things were left after the second tryout. I want to stick on this for a minute because this is probably my favorite part of your story. I would say that in general, uh, the majority of the populace would have taken that feedback and they would have shut it down. They would have said, well, that's it, you know? And I think because for a lot of folks, we are looking for affirmation from the outside environment and the outside world to say, Hey, you're doing a good job. Hey, you're on the right path. And really, man, what we have found out, not just in kind of our the things that we consume outside of the show, but in the folks that we have talked to, the, the common thread in people that chase down a dream is not letting anybody deter them from what their goal is. And just saying that I'm going to do it. And whether you believe I can do it or not, I don't really care, but this is what the goal is and I'm going to make it happen. And so what was that internal discussion like with yourself after receiving that comment card and, and what was the how quickly was the decision made to take another shot at it yeah it was it was made very quickly when i saw that i was i was quite frankly mad when i read that just because i had put so much work into it and had been receiving pretty positive feedback nothing was overwhelming no one was saying that i was a sure lock to make the team but the strength coaches in my position coach made it sound like I was on the bubble to use a March Madness term. Um, and so then to hear this comment card this seemingly saying that I'm so far away that it's impossible, it was um, it was really tough. And then after that, I had to clean out my locker to make room for someone else that had made the team. So just a truly empty feeling. Um, and I remember after that, I walked out of the football building. I had my iPod at the time and I started turning up some some heavy metal music pretty loudly just to kind of just walk and just sit alone with my thoughts for a bit. And I, I walked for about five minutes and ended up on the bridge overlooking the stadium on Sanford drive. And just looking out on that field, I was thinking that, 
there's just no way that there are 125 people in this world that wanted to be part of that team worse than I did. And that I was going to do whatever it took to make that team. And so, I mean, that decision was made just minutes later that I was coming back. It didn't matter that they said, you know, to hang it up and never play football again. I was going to do it. And and that was that. And so I also was willing to take a holistic approach to it in that while there were certain things that I could continue to push harder on, and I did, there were some other things that I needed to take a step back and reevaluate, maybe consider a different approach. So um, to go through some of those, on the diet side of things, I um, added in uh, up to 10 meals a day. So I, a ninth and then later a 10th. And I was gaining weight, but that still wasn't all of the weight that I needed to gain. So at that point, I started adding in several um, you know, peanut butter and banana smoothies. And then I also added in two gallons of whole milk a day. So I'm taking in about 15,000 calories a day. I feel like throwing up 24 hours a day because I'm constantly that full, um, even during you know weight room and stuff. And so redoubled my efforts on strength training. But a few brand new things that I did were that I – I decided to change positions to defensive end. Um, and that's something that was risky, but but a very smart move in retrospect. I had never played a snap of defensive end. I didn't know what in the world it was, what the stance was, anything. I watched some YouTube videos to teach myself how to play before I tried out. But what I did know were that my skill set was becoming a better fit for that than it was for other positions. Um, I, you know, I was naturally a defensive guy, so I didn't really want to try to learn something on offense. I wouldn't have been big enough for O-line anyway, but also I didn't have the ball skills to be a tight end or fullback. So um, I figured moving closer to the line of scrimmage would, would kind of really mask my speed weakness, which was great. I wasn't incredibly slow, but I was still somewhat slow. And, it, and the closer you are to the ball, the less that shows. So decided to change the defensive end and, and continue to get bigger and stronger. And I also knew that there was less competition there. I mean, there were 20 plus guys trying out to be linebackers every year, and there may be six or seven trying out to be defensive ends. So the numbers are just better. And then decided to, to also focus on learning the three, four defense because the fall of my junior year, every defensive assistant other than Rodney Garner was let go and Georgia brought in Grantham and uh, Coach Grantham instituted a 3-4, which is completely different. So I studied the ins and outs of that to see what a 3-4 defensive end um, should look like and should do. And that, that was a really interesting process. And so I had made my mind up. So I walked into Coach Tereshinsky's office and just told him, hey, I want to try out again. I didn't ask. It was, it was a statement. And, um, and he just looked at me and said, sure. And then when I uh, went to get my physical done, because they have to make sure everyone passes certain you know physical requirements before they can let them start trying out. The nurse just took one look at me and then the weight chart that they'd had for me and immediately um, let me know that I've been randomly selected for steroid testing. And <laughs> I mean, literally the second that that came back, it was just like, welcome to Georgia. There was never any doubt that I would make the team. Um, so I was just, I was really overjoyed. I remember sitting in coach Garner's office when he told me that, and the way that he made it sound was like the second that I'd started trying out, he just always expected me to make it, which is, it seems so odd after everything that I had been through. I don't know if I was expecting, you know, confetti and streamers to come down from the ceiling or what when I finally made the team. But it was it was really just kind of the, the external world around me was was reflecting what I felt on the inside was that, you know, I'm going to make it and it's not even up for debate this time. What was that phone call like to your family to tell them that this thing you've been chasing for this long is finally coming to fruition? 
It was wonderful because um, they had really been there for me throughout that process. My parents had gone to G-Day my uh, freshman and sophomore year. So they had, they had seen me um, out there and, and they'd even been to a, a practice one time. So they knew the kind of work that I was putting into it. And they were so thrilled that it was paying off because they knew as well as I did that there's a limited amount of time to do this. You have four years to play and you can redshirt. So over five year period, you can play four seasons. And so I was already down to my last two seasons. And so I was I was so thrilled to make it, so thrilled to share that with them since they were a part of that. And that kind of reinforced what what I had thought along the way, which was that the most important things in life and in and in my story are the things that nobody else can see. And if they do see them, they don't care. Um, there's an inverse relationship between the importance of a task and the recognition that you get for it. And what I mean is this. And to use a football analogy, if you make a big hit in a game, you know, the whole crowd is going to roar for you. They'll stand up and clap. If you make a big lift in the weight room, then maybe your workout partners will pat you on the back and congratulate you. If you're diligent about going to bed on time every night, not partying, and if you're always dragging yourself to the dining hall every hour and a half, never touching sweets or fatty foods and eating just insane amounts of healthy food to gain all this weight, Nobody cares. In fact, people just think it's weird. Um, and so that the things that I did on my own away from everyone else were the most important part of this. And it's and, and that's really a metaphor for life. And that the, it's the little things that add up and the things that you get up and you do every day and that nobody ever gives you the least bit of recognition for because people recognize the end result. You know, once you achieve a goal, people come out of the woodwork and celebrate with you. But it's really about maintaining that process and maintaining your focus and discipline during that as the most important step of that journey. Yeah, I love that. I can't remember who said this, but one of my favorite quotes is it's from, mm, I can't remember. Uh, it's a successful entrepreneur that says it, but he got interviewed and during the interview, he's asked about his process and he said, you know, everybody wants to be me at 10 AM, but nobody wants to be me at 4:30 AM. <laughs> and there's a lot of truth in that. Right. Um, you know, what we do in the darkness shines in the light. So uh, there's certainly a lot of that in your story. So 2010, make the team, but not just make the team. You also make the dress list that year. So what was the experience like uh, walking up to the dress list and seeing your name on it for the first time? That was amazing. I, I had my fingers crossed because that year we played two so-called cupcake teams and the dress list can be bigger for those games than it can be for SEC games or other power five opponents. So I knew, you know, that that was really one of my chances was the opener against Louisiana Lafayette. Um, and when I went up and walked up there and saw my name on the dress list, I really stepped away and and sat in my locker and and started really just having a few happy tears. I almost couldn't even believe it because for so long it had been an idea, a concept that I could make the team. But here it was like written in stone that I'm on this dress list. And on Saturday, I'm going to be out there with my name on the back of my jersey. It was just really a surreal feeling because um, you get so used to putting in all the work that, you know, when that payoff moment comes, it's just, it, it feels all the sweeter because of that. So I was, I was just thrilled to have that happen and was also just thrilled with how well the team played that day. It was a blowout win. Offense, defense, and special teams all did well. And with it being the season opener, there was kind of a, a certain buzz of excitement. So that, that was just a great experience. What's that like? Because obviously most of our listeners have never had that experience, but what's it like running out of the tunnel in front of 93,000 people at Sanford Stadium? 
It is incredible. Um, the tunnel, and this is before they did the end zone renovation and come out of the other side, but when they used to come out of the east side of the stadium by the railroad tracks, um, that whole tunnel is made of concrete. And so the noise just echoes. It sounds like you're running through an earthquake to get onto that field because you can just hear Larry Munson's video rolling uh, with all the highlights. And then you hear the crowd and it the noise has no place to go. It just builds and builds and echoes in this cavern. And then you run out and you see, you know, the band playing on the field and, um, and the mascot and the cheerleaders and the fans. Um, and, and the weather was just perfect that day. It was like sunny and bright. I mean, it, it was just absolutely amazing being on the field, hearing the same songs that I'd heard hundreds of times, um, you know, as a fan. But but with me being a part of that, it was just an absolutely incredible feeling. So I'm not sure. I can't remember from your story. I can't remember if it was the 2010 season or the 2011 season. But um, will you tell our listeners about the uh, the experience that you had when it was your turn to sit on the hot seat? Sure. Yes. Yeah, so that, that was 2011, my senior year. And it, it was an interesting offseason because Georgia has, has been such a consistent winning program. And 2010 was really the one exception to that rule. So still to this day, since 1996, Georgia has won eight or more games every season other than one. And that was the very first year I was on the team, 2010. Um, that year, we actually went six and seven, um, yep. had a lot of close losses, a lot of losses on last second fumbles, last second touchdowns given up, um, just a brutal year. And and everyone could feel the heat was on the program. I mean, it was from like the, the coaches. I knew the heat was on them. There was just a lot of pressure to deliver. And so this is going into my, you know, redshirt senior season. Um, and, they, and they have a hot seat where different guys, leaders on the team, can sit in front and tell someone their story and tell the team, you know, what it means to, for, to them to be a Georgia Bulldog. And so they do this over multiple nights. They probably allow one hour per night over five nights during camp to do the hot seat. And so um, the captains went, several other seniors did, several other, um, other really important players got up there and spoke. And then the last night I had been thinking about it and just really felt moved to share my story. And there was just silence and I knew there was still more time. And so I just got up, and a couple of the guys, you know, kind of clapped and were, were glad that, that I spoke. I could tell a lot of the guys were probably surprised because I, you know, definitely was not a leader on the team from from any kind of like playing time perspective. But I went there and I told them my story. And I think a couple of guys close to me, especially the walk-ons, knew that. But not everybody did. A lot of the guys, um, you know, football came naturally to them. They're insanely athletically gifted. They were always getting showered with awards. They still worked incredibly hard, but they, they just hadn't really – heard of a story or an approach like that where someone, you know, gets told never come back and still manages to come back and make the team. So everyone was, was really receptive and really nice about it. I remember afterwards, Cornelius Washington came up and just like gave me a hug in the hallway and said he had no idea what I went through to become part of the team. Um, and then one of the graduate assistants who I later ended up working with at State Farm, um, he actually said something to me as well afterwards. So it, it was just, it was a great experience for me to be able to share what it meant to me to be a Bulldog, especially as someone growing up, just a, a massive fan of the program. Um, and, and on the eve of another exciting season, we knew that that next year, I mean, right off the bat, would probably the, the most brutal two-game stretch to start a season that I can think of in Georgia history with taking on a top five Boise State team in game number one. And then I believe South Carolina was about number six or seven in week number two. So we knew right off the bat, we were getting ready to find out how good of a team we were. 
Yeah, that was an interesting season. Uh, it was actually corresponded with uh, my bachelor party and my wedding was that fall. Okay. So we did my bachelor party in Atlanta for the kickoff classic that year. So we were in the house for the Boise State game. Um, and that was a that Boise State team was a great football team. And then, you know, that the SC teams, I, I, Marcus Latimer was still there, I think. Was, was he still there on those teams? Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He was there. I mean, they were those were great South Carolina teams. And, and that second game of the season in Sanford was high flying, tons of scoring, could have gone either way. And then you guys reel off what 10 straight wins to go back to the dome and go to Atlanta and play for the SEC title game. So what an exciting year to be part of as your senior season. I, I do want to, before we get, get into kind of what the end result was, at what point in this journey does it go from, I want to be on the team, I want to be a part of the team, to, hey, I'm here now, I'd like to play. Like, when, do, when does that transition and when does that start to enter your mind is, this could be real, I could, I could do this. It, really, I would say – you know, the day that my dad first introduced me to Georgia football when I was about three years old. Um, I mean, making the team was always a huge milestone, but that was not the end goal. I wanted to play in a game. Um, and it that was always that's goal number one. Everything else, there were great steps along the way, self-improvement, um, making the team, being on the sideline for a game was it was a huge step. But the goal was always I want to play in a game. And I knew that was going to be an extremely uphill battle because in order for a walk on to play, unless you're someone who starts on special teams, um, which obviously I was not, there needs to be a blowout, but it has to be a blowout early in the game because when once the team gets up by, you know, 28, 35, coaches will put in the second string. Then after that, they really need to get in the third string and some of the freshman scholarship players that don't get a lot of reps. And then with the remaining time, um, they'll get in some walk-ons. Well, the thing is, one, once a game is a blowout, there are not that many series left. There's usually only an average of 12 series, 12 offensive possessions in a football game per team. And so if it takes you know eight or nine possessions for it to turn into a blowout, there are no snaps left for the walk-ons by the time the, that they kind of get through that waterfall of guys that need to play. So I was you know, a little nervous about it. Um, and it, it came down to the uh, New Mexico State game because – there were only two cupcake games my senior year. One was Coastal Carolina, and that was game number three. And we beat them 59 to nothing. But considering we were 0-2 going into that game, I think the coaches really, really wanted to keep the starters in and kind of make a point with that final score. So I totally understood that. There wasn't going to be as much substituting that day. Um, well, then for New Mexico State, we're in the middle of this you know, 10-game winning streak, um, which still to this day is the longest winning streak that Georgia's had within one season um, since 1982. And, you know, I, I went into my coach, uh, Coach Garner's office two days before the game. And I said, if we get a big lead on Saturday, I want you to put me in the game. And he said, you know, I know we haven't had a lot of big leads this season, um, but I'll see what I can do. And so I, I was, uh, I was, you know, a little scared at the end of the first quarter, we're up only seven to three on New Mexico State. And then in the second quarter, um, Georgia set a uh, program record. They scored 42 points in one quarter and just blew the game wide open. So this point, it's uh, 49-3. I'm feeling pretty good about my odds. So the coaches uh, at the end of the second quarter, really at halftime, are starting to do some substituting. And then as the fourth quarter goes on, you know, teams are just running the ball every play. So the clock is going faster and faster than it would in a normal game. And there were about eight minutes left on the clock. 
and I had been pacing behind Coach Garner, um, loudly clearing my throat just to let him know that I was there. And uh, finally, he sends over a graduate assistant and tells me to, you know, start stretching. Because at this point, it had been about three hours since we had uh, finished pregame warmups. So it's been a long time. I've just been standing there on the sideline. And uh, so I start stretching. Um, one of the uh, the nice benefits of it being late in a uh, blowout game against a cupcake team was the stadium had started to empty a little bit. And so my family and friends were able to come down to the 50 yard line front row um, right behind the bench and watch it. Cause I was able to kind of, you know, give them a, them a thumbs up that I was getting ready to go in. So then to start the next possession, I go in the game and it was the most just exciting feeling ever. And I was really kind of of two minds. One was just soaking in this moment, knowing that this is something so fleeting that so much work has gone into it. And then also, on the other hand, do my job. You know, these are plays that I've practiced so many times and I can't let the moment be too big for me. I need to get out there and, and you know, make sure I fill my role on the defense. And so when we line up, we're in the huddle. And one of the scholarship guys says he decides that he doesn't want to play nose guard that play. And uh, he's going to play defensive end. And since I was the one new player in on defense, I know that if anybody is lined up incorrectly, it's going to be my fault since I was a new guy in. And so first play, I line up in nose guard on defense of all positions <laughs> and um, take on a double team block. The other team just really ran the ball. Then the second play, we switched back. So I got to play actual defensive end. And um, and then after that, the other team got a first down and the coaches went ahead and rotated through. There were many more walk-ons that needed to get some snaps and they wanted to put other guys in the game. So I got in for those two plays. Um, but that really just meant the world to me because while two plays is not a lot, by any stretch of the imagination, getting in two plays versus zero plays, it was everything. It either meant success or failure. And it was all on that one day in the middle of a game where we're up 63 to 10 and a lot of people kind of left because it was still pretty hot out that day. But that experience was one that I will just never forget that I got in the game and I played as part of that win. So you have this, I just think, such a unique journey. At, at what point after you stop playing and you've moved on to your professional life, does the idea come, hey, I should probably write about this. Like I should probably memorialize this, not just for posterity's sake, but so that maybe somebody else could learn from this journey and maybe give somebody else hope and encouragement if they're doing something similar. That really came several years later. It was through mentoring a younger friend of mine, John Huff. Um, he was in the class of 2015 and also walked onto the team in Georgia. And that was his live stream as well. So I was able to talk him through what the tryout process was like, who to talk to, what to expect because there's so many different components of the tryout process where I, I would just be frank with them and tell them that, you know, in January, you need to show up um, and have great, you know, speed, great testing kind of combine um, abilities that are at their peak. And then I told them as the month goes on, like lose 10 or 15 pounds before match drills, So you'll be at your quickest. And then at the end of match drills, you really need to focus on position work um, because there's going to be spring ball. And then as soon as spring ball ends, just pack on muscle for summer workouts. So there were all these different intricacies of the tryout process that I passed on to him. And I thought about it, that there have to be more people out there than just my friend John Huff that could benefit from hearing this story. And so that's when it went from, I was just mentoring someone about UGA football to, I want to you know tell this as a a self-improvement story and a, a goal-setting story because it's it's not a football story it's a story about life and uh the 
the venue that I happened to set my goal in was football, um, at least at that point in time in my life. And so that really gave me the idea. And it was really kind of a two year journey to write the book because I, you know, I'm, I'm far from a professional writer. I didn't really know kind of where to start, but I did some research online, put an outline together, found a publisher that they did a great job and really believed in it and wanted to make sure everything was right. They did a lot of great work on the book. For instance, I wrote 15 chapters and um, they decided to combine it. Some was cutting out different um, parts. Other things were, you know, suggestions like let's take this story at the beginning of this chapter and move it up to the end of the last chapter because it flows better. And so they cut it down to 10 chapters, made it a, a much um, more easy to digest read. And I was just really pleased with the process um, of, of writing that book. And it came out just under two years ago now. It's hard to believe it's, it's been that long, but I was really pleased with the reception for it. It's got a 5.0 um, average review rating on Amazon, but mostly I'm just glad from some of the feedback that I've had from some people that have picked it up and read it and will say, you know, I can relate to this. I've got you know, this situation, whether it's like a, some boss that they just, just cannot deal with, or whether it's, they have some goal, it could be to travel the world or improve a relationship or, you know, move to a new city or something. And, and I enjoy hearing that other people get something out of it. Cause I, you know, that's really what I, what I wrote it for. So we're coming up now in the 2021 Georgia football season, be the 10 year anniversary of your senior season uh, at Georgia. In that 10-year span, as you've expanded and, and gone on to chase professional dreams, what are the lessons from your time at UGA that you carry with you each day and that have provided the foundation for your professional success? There are a lot of lessons. Um, I would say first is really the value of extremely hard work. That's a term that gets thrown around all the time today. People say hard work. They don't really know the, the level of hard work and how many extra gears that they actually have until they tap into that. So, um, you know, if, if anything seems like it's a tough challenge now, I think back to uh, Matt drills at 4.30 in the morning, seeing, you know, all American players crumpled on the ground, throwing up next to me and me continuing to push through that. I, I pull back to, to places like that where I know that every fiber of my body just had searing pain in it and I kept going no matter what. So it is, there is a hard work and a toughness component. There's also kind of a, a creativity up, up, uh, approach to it that I, that I take into business. So for instance, stepping back and deciding to, um, to change positions, to do something that I had never done before um, just to make the team. I take that with me to work all the time. I've had reports that were my responsibility that were um, just so manual, just taking screenshots of the same dashboard and, and changing a toggle and then doing another screenshot. And I decided to learn how to create a batch file um, and, and teach the computer to do all of this for me. So just being able to step back and take an interesting approach to things. Um, and then three is just see things through. Just if you have a goal you know, don't be happy if you get 70 or 80 or 90% of it. Don't expect anybody else to pat you on the back or even care. Like you need to do it because you as a person want to see this through to the end. And it has to mean that much to you. All right, Ken, I want to close with you today, how we close with all of our interview guests. We do something called the Smart 16. It's kind of 16 quick hitting questions in honor of Coach Smart. So I'm going to start with you. So question number one is, what's your middle name? It's Candler. Um, I actually go by my middle name. My first name's Charles. Oh, awesome. So are they, are both names family names or what's the origin of both names? Charles uh, came from both of my grandfathers and then Candler was not a family name, but my parents wanted to give me um, an Atlanta related name. So they, they thought of the Candler family and Coca-Cola. So that's where they had the idea for my middle name. Oh, I love that. 
Okay. Who is, so usually we ask this question with our guests, who's your favorite dog of all time? But since you're a former player, we're going to ask who's your favorite teammate of all time. Favorite teammate of all time, man. That's a great question. I would say Matthew Stafford. Um, he's a guy that I overlapped with when I was trying out and I was just so blown away by how humble he was. I mean, a guy with just all the ability in the world. And I mean, people knew early in his career, really around 2007, his sophomore year, that he had the ability to be a first round overall draft pick. And to just about everybody that's trying out, he'll go up to them and shake their hand and say, hi, I'm Matthew. And everybody knew who he was, but just such a leader, so humble. Um, and also a close second would really be Aaron Murray. He was a guy that was a great leader, great representative of Georgia. Um, so I'd say those guys. What is, uh, I think I probably know the answer to this, but what's your favorite Georgia game you've ever been a part of, either as a player or as a fan? So as a player, I would say I would say the Auburn game in 2011. They were defending national champions, um, and Auburn had already beaten both Florida and South Carolina that year, so they were, um, they were a team to contend with, and we just beat the tar out of them. Uh, we, we won 45-7, um, to seven, and we didn't even try in the second half. It was just pretty amazing having a top 20 team come into town and have them leave as if they were um, a Division II team or something. And the favorite game that I've watched, um, I would say the Rose Bowl. Um, I went there with a few of my friends um, for that game in uh, 2017 in the playoffs. Man, what, a, what an emotional roller coaster and a thrilling game. Yeah, that's been a very popular answer, and as it should be, because, man, that was an incredible night. Uh, all right, what is your favorite rivalry that the dogs have? I would say Georgia-Florida. Um, it's the one that means the most every year. It almost always decides the SEC East winner, and just the pageantry and tradition around that game is amazing. Uh, the only other game that's neutral site that, that really has any kind of tradition like that is really Texas-Oklahoma and the Red River rivalry. And so yep. these, these neutral games are so rare these days, but it, it's such a cool experience to see half of the stadium blue and half red, and I, I just think that's a great tradition. Yeah, Boss and I did a, a feature on our show this week for our Saturday Athens Sixer, which was six sporting events you could attend for the rest of your life, and those are the only six you can attend. And the cocktail party was on both of our lists. That's that's <laughs> that's a big one for us as well. So yeah, okay. What is your favorite away stadium in the Southeastern Conference? I would say LSU. I mean, that is just a unique, loud venue. Um, I was there for the uh, 2018 game when Georgia played at LSU. And even though it didn't turn out um, as well for us, it was just, it was a really cool venue to, to watch a game in. Yeah, that's a good one. That's, that's on our list. We want to, we want to check that one off for sure. I'll, I need to tailgate with the Cajuns. I need to have that experience. <laughs> uh, all right. What is the loudest home game at Sanford you've ever been a part of? That's pretty easy. I would say the 2013 game against LSU, the, the duel between um, Zach Mettenberger and Aaron Murray. I mean, that had college game day in town, um, top 10 matchup. It, what an incredible back and forth game, 44 to 41. That, that was just awesome. All right. You get to choose the headlining act at the Georgia Theater. Who do you choose? I would say Sam Hunt. Oh, that's a good one. I like that. I'm a big Sam Hunt fan. Okay. Cocktail you're mixing for the world's largest outdoor cocktail party? Um, that's a good question. I would say, you know, maybe a, a Jack and Coke or Diet Coke. All right. What is your favorite place to eat in Athens? You're back in Athens for one meal. Where are you going? 
I would say sauce house. They, they just have some of the best barbecue. And the fact that you can um, get the, their sandwiches on sweet Hawaiian rolls just takes it to the next level. Okay. Did you have any game day superstitions when you were playing and, or do you have any game day superstitions now as a fan? Not really other than, um, you know, any friends that I'm hanging out with that day need to wear something that's a Georgia color, you know, unless they're obviously a fan of another team, I get supporting your team, but there were some, uh, some of my friends that, you know, if we were all going to the dining hall together before a game, including some guys that were on the team, they'd show up to the dining hall and they're wearing like blue or green or something. I, I never understood that. Like you need to wear, you know, red, black, uh, or, you know, white or silver is fine, but like you, you wear Georgia colors on game day. Yeah. All right. What's your favorite Sanford Stadium pregame tradition, whether it's dog walk, uh, lone trumpeteer, Larry Munson coming over the airways? What's your favorite part about the pregame atmosphere between the hedges? I would say when Bob O'Reilly comes on, that's normally when, you know, the, the pregame um, noise reaches a fever pitch. All right. Black jerseys. Yes or no? Yes, with an exclamation point. Love the black jerseys. Um, nothing will ever take away from from Georgia's you know r- classic red um, jersey, gray pants look. But I, I still love it. I say one to two games a year, break out the black jerseys. It doesn't need to be crazy. We don't need to do it all the time. But I love it. It's a great way to mix it up. It's something that recruits love. So I, I think it's it's definitely something we need to continue. Yeah, us too. I think it's great for all those reasons. Um, and you know. It's one of the school colors, so <laughs> mix it in. Right. I think it's great. Okay, what's the loss you're still not over? It has to be the national championship at the end of the 2017 season. Uh, you know, I wasn't part of that team, but at the end of the day, the only thing that any opposing fan can knock Georgia for is that we haven't won a national championship because we've done everything else. We've won a lot of SEC titles, you know, as many as just about anyone other than Bama. Um, now we've been to the playoff so many 10 win seasons. Um, and so that's really the, the only thing that we haven't accomplished in, in my lifetime. And for us to be so close and have a combination of, you know, maybe some conservative play calling at the end, some um, just wrong officiating on, you know, offsides calls, face masks, false starts that weren't called, including one on the game tying touchdown from Bama at the end of uh, the fourth quarter. So that one just you know, I don't, it's hard to say if someone could ever get over it, but I think when we win a title, I'll get over it. But in the meantime, that, that one hurts. Yeah, Boston and I talk a lot about how I'll just be having a random Tuesday and I'll go, why were we in too high coverage on second and 26? Like, yeah. oh, it just like makes my brain hurt. But we try to stay away from that pit of despair as often as we can. Um, okay, there ought to be a constitutional amendment outlawing noon kickoffs, yes or no? Completely agree. Um, there, there's no reason for that. I know that, you know, TV is, you know, they're, they're trying to spread it out. But I would say if there need to be three time slots, maybe start the first one at two or something, maybe do two, five thirty, and then eight thirty or nine for the night games or, or find some other way to stagger them. But noon kickoffs, it just cuts it cuts out the tradition and pageantry before the game. The dog walks, you know, is a little sleepier. Um, and I, you know, I, I just think, especially for the SEC, where it means so much to the fans, I think they need to be later. Now, I know there are other conferences like the Pac-12. They always have a tough time filling out stadiums. They experimented with 9 a.m. kickoffs last season because they've just kind of given up on the fan attendance aspect. But for the SEC, where people are still selling out stadiums all the time, there should never be a kickoff before two, in my opinion. All right. Last question. 
college football playoff, expand to eight teams, or find how it is? I think expand to eight teams. I see both sides of it because there are some years where there are truly only two or three elite teams. But that being said, there have been several years where a very deserving team is le- has been left at number five or number six and left out of it. Um, I think it would be more exciting. At the end of the day, you know, money tends to rule everything in college football, and it's more money to have more playoff games. And it wouldn't even have to change the current bowls. You could make all six of the New Year's six games part of the playoff, make four of them the semifinal games, make the other two – or sorry, four of them the quarterfinal games, the other two semifinal games – and then the national championship is just the national championship. All those major bowls now get more notoriety. Um, and then you could still have the other bowl games as well. But now with, with fan attendance and interest in non-playoff games reaching kind of an all-time low, I think it's the perfect time to expand the playoff to eight teams and also allow um, you know some of these quality one-loss or two-loss teams a shot at it. You know, I, I hated seeing that A&M got excluded from the playoff last year. They really put together a solid season. They had – you know, the bad loss to Bama, but at the end of the day, I think they were definitely a more deserving team than Notre Dame and to see them get left out um, was tough. And there've been some other years where there's been someone at the five slot, including Georgia, the two years before that, that, that was probably a pretty deserving team to be part of the playoffs. Yeah. Our listeners are pretty familiar with my theory that football teams are a living, evolving, breathing organism. And I think maybe more so than any sport, maybe outside of baseball. I do think there's a lot of evolutionary change in baseball with the course of the team and how they play. But I think you could be a completely different team on December 3rd than you were on September 21st. Right. And I think to keep teams out that could make some noise competitively just kind of burns me a little bit. And, uh, you know, obviously we're biased and wear Georgia colored glasses, but I would have loved to have seen Georgia involved in an 18 playoff last year to see Mm -hmm. what they look like against high level competition with JT Daniels at quarterback. Right. I mean, they play their, the games of most significance without him at quarterback. So do we really know who they actually were given, um, given his absence? So I, I would love to see it as well. I think it'd be good for the game. All right. Well, you're off the hot seat. Thank you for indulging us with that. Before we let you go, Candler, please tell our listeners how they can uh, get your book and how they can support you on social media. Yeah, so um, they, they can feel free to to follow the book or my page on um, on Facebook or LinkedIn, and then um, really just just put it into Amazon. From Underdog to Bulldog is the name of the book, and yeah, we really appreciate any of the listeners ordering a copy. And I also appreciate um, Clayton Lovell connecting us. I've really enjoyed going on the podcast, and also enjoyed listening to it. I'm going to make sure I listen to future episodes as those come out. Yeah, Ken, we really appreciate the time. We're going to put links in our show notes to everything. So everybody, please go and give Candler a follow. And please, please, please go and support him and get a copy of his book. I mean, I think you've heard today. It is a story that that you and your loved ones need to read and consume. So thank you for your time, Candler. And go dogs, sick them. Go dogs. Thank you. George is better now.